when qualities such as metta or loving-kindness are spoken about in the Buddhist psychology, they're talked about in several different ways. We talk about their manifestation, talk about their characteristic. There's something that is called, in classical language, it's called the proximate cause. The proximate cause is that force or condition which is the most powerful condition to allow this other factor to arise. It's the most powerful contributing factor for the arising of some particular mind state. It's said that the proximate cause, or most powerful condition for the arising of metta, is seeing the goodness in someone. It's taught that if we're thinking about a person and we think about their good qualities, then it's a natural bridge. We feel some warmth, we feel closeness, we feel a breaking down of barriers. If we focus on all their negative qualities, <clears throat> then we'll more naturally feel resentment or anger or fear or whatever. Again, this isn't to, to enter a world of make-believe, you know, to imagine that this person only has good qualities and that the negative qualities don't exist. We can recognize them and see them, but we, we cherish in some way the good that we can find because that's what allows the bridge to be made. Once there is a feeling of oneness or empathy, then the negative qualities can be talked about or communicated about from a different perspective, rather than a sense of duality or us and them. It's from a place of, of more closeness that they can be directly seen. If we cannot find a good quality about somebody, then we focus on that wish to be happy, which is said to be part of every being's makeup, that every living, breathing being wants to be happy, and so very few know how. In fact, this is the legend that surrounds the Buddha's enlightenment. <clears throat> it said that after his enlightenment, he himself did not feel very inspired to teach. And according to the legend, a celestial being, a divine being, descended from the heaven world to intercede with him and asked him to use his psychic vision to survey the world to see if what he saw would arouse his compassion and inspire him to teach. And it said that this is just what the Buddha did. But in surveying the world, what so moved him was not even so much the extent or the type or the depth of people's suffering but rather, it's the, it was the extent of people's ignorance, seeing that everybody, in fact, wanted to be happy, and that so very few knew how. Because of that ignorance, people went around very often doing the precise things that would increase their suffering, rather than bring them happiness. We focus on the good in someone, or failing that, if we actually cannot find or feel that, we focus on that wish to be happy with some respect towards that wish. We do this towards ourselves as well. If you like, in the beginning, 
of the period when you are directing metta towards yourself, you can begin by focusing on something good about yourself, perhaps something good that you've done in the past, an act of generosity or an act of kindness or something where perhaps it might have been very easy to tell a lie and you chose not to, sometime when you made an effort to live according to your own deepest values. This isn't considered an exercise in conceit or pride, but rather taking a rightful joy that out of this very beautiful wish to be happy, we can find the way, we can understand what will bring us a greater happiness than the conventional offering of the world. To take delight, to take joy is a wonderful ground for the arising of metta feelings. You can begin by focusing on some good thing that you've done, if you like, you know, to do that reflection, some good quality that you have. Begin to direct the loving kindness towards yourself through the repetition of the phrases. And then some way into the sitting, we will begin doing metta towards the benefactor. A benefactor is a person or a being. Persons is a little limited. It can include animals, it can include whatever. It's a being that easily, most easily arouses the feeling of loving kindness within you. Generally speaking, it's said to be easiest to have this feeling towards someone that we have great respect for. And therefore, you might spend some time reflecting on the good things this being has done for you, this person perhaps has done for you, and feeling the joy of that and the gratitude of that, and then directing the phrases of loving kindness towards them. The choice of a benefactor classically involves two or three elements. The first is that the person or being still be alive. According to the text, this is done because in in the ancient tradition it is said that if this person or being is not still alive, it is more difficult to develop concentration, the force of concentration on them. And it also recommends that it not be a person towards whom there is a sexual attraction or sexual with whom there is a sexual relationship, because that is a different feeling. And it's very easy to get confused. As we move to that period in the in the sitting, you can, if it comes easily to you, visualize this person and hold an image of this person as you are directing the phrases towards them. If it does not come easily, it doesn't matter. You might say their name or just bring up the thought of them so that there is a sense of connection, you know, towards whom you're saying the words. Okay, let's begin.
to again sit as comfortably as you can. It helps if your back is fairly erect so that there's more wakefulness. Take a few deep breaths, just relax the body. And closing your eyes. Can you can call to mind the thing you like the most about yourself, some good thing that you've done, or call to mind that wish to be happy and honoring that. You may find your mind slipping off into all of the things you don't like about yourself, all the nasty and terrible things that you've done, which seems to be an easier contemplation. If you notice that, see if you can let go of that. Bring the attention back, either to reflection on a good thing that you've done or that wish to be happy. repeating whatever phrases are most meaningful to you in terms of what you wish for yourself in an enduring way. Traditional phrases being, may I be free from danger, may I have mental happiness, may I have physical happiness, may I have ease of well-being. whatever phrases are most powerful for you, and gently repeat them again and again, your mind resting in them, perhaps coordinated with the breath or simply on their own.
First, I'd like to remind those of you who have experienced retreats before and uh, say as well to those of you who have not that the first day or two of a retreat are mostly known to be the most difficult time of all of the retreat. Unless you lead a quite unusual life, coming here is a drastic reduction in sensory stimulation. And it's, it's always occurred to me that there could be said to be at least two voices in the mind. The first voice says, well, it doesn't seem to be anything happening now. It must be time to go to sleep. And so we just fall asleep. It doesn't matter if we've slept 18 hours the night before. We just go to sleep. The other voice says, well, it doesn't seem to be anything happening here. Let's make something happen. And so there's this torrent of fantasy and creativity and imagination just comes pouring out. These are the the tendencies that seem to come into balance much more easily as time goes on. So it's another call for patience. It doesn't matter if you've done hundreds of retreats, it still happens. It's a tremendous adjustment in the beginning. What we all need to beware of is the mind which says, oh no, six more days just like today or just like this sitting. It's the mind which fastens upon the moment's experience and imagines it will not change, that we know exactly how it's going to be over time, when in fact we don't. Our experience is continually changing and evolving. So just to be aware that even if there is great difficulty right now, it doesn't mean that is the way it's going to be. It doesn't define your meditation or your ability to do the practice. Another thing to keep in mind is that as you are sitting and then later walking, if you feel very restless, if you feel quite disconnected from the phrases, then it's fine just to stop for a little while. If you're sitting, just quietly be with the breath. Feel the breath, create some space, and then go back to focusing on the phrases. If you're walking, you can just feel yourself walking and then go back to the phrases. You will develop your own rhythm and pace in using the phrases. I have a friend who said that he never saw what an incredibly impatient person he was until he did metta meditation. Because what he found himself doing was rushing through a phrase to get to the next completely identical phrase, as though we're going to be any different. And we do see, all of us, we see a lot of things about ourselves as we develop this craft. We're rushing through We're trying to force something to happen. We're not paying enough attention. All kinds of different things. This is is very natural. This is what will get revealed. When you see it, you can make the adjustment, come back to balance, and begin again. In the walking practice, 
Once again, we devote the time to repeating the phrases, either in conjunction with the steps or independent of an awareness of the body. You might experiment in the walking with both yourself and this benefactor. Many people find it is much easier in walking to be sending the metta towards themselves or perhaps themselves and the beings that they encounter. People walking by, birds flying by, whatever. So you can spend some time trying to send metta towards the benefactor. If it feels just too awkward, you can go back to sending it towards yourself or yourself and those that you encounter. And once again, it's fine just to let it go for a little while. Be with the steps and then pick it up again as time goes on. Do you have any questions about your experience in the sitting or about the walking technique? You, you can change the benefactor if you wish. If you find that you're continually wanting to change, then you might decide on one you know, for, for some period. Okay, when you're eating and dressing and, and doing other activities, if you can, keep the phrases going. Um, once again, you develop your own rhythm and pace. Generally speaking, it's easiest at those times to send metta towards yourself because there you are with yourself. You know, and that, that helps keep you connected to your present moment's experience. Um, if you find it's, it's just incredibly tedious, you know, give yourself some space. Pay attention to what you're doing so that you have a sense of of quiet, and then pick up the phrases again when it seems easy. Yeah, I would I would suggest not choosing your partner in the beginning as you're developing the, the practice, because it is, the feeling of metta is different than a sexual feeling, and because there is that association, you know, it's just that much easier to move into that, that realm. What people often discover, um, much to their chagrin, is that as they're doing metta towards somebody, that they are surprised to feel sexual feeling towards, just that focus and the closeness and the intimacy that comes from doing the metta sometimes brings up that feeling. You know, and because it's just, it's just a way of seeing the differences between the feelings, it's just easier you know, to choose somebody in which it's less likely rather than more likely, and certainly for, for the beginning. Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah, the, you know, it's like I said, um, in the tradition, they suggest choosing somebody who is still alive because the force of the concentration is said to, to be more powerful. What we're doing here is not only developing the force of concentration, but also developing the force of metta. You know, so they're really going hand in hand. And so it's, it's really up to you. You know, if you find that it's, it's really not working, it's too distracting or it's too complex, too many other feelings are coming up, then, then I would switch. Uh, that's quite wonderful. People do that sometimes they choose their grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sending metta towards oneself is an interesting process because sometimes in doing that we identify with the giver and sometimes we identify with the recipient. You know, sometimes people have an experience similar to what you describe, where they feel love coming towards them. They don't so much experience themselves as trying to generate it, but they feel love coming towards them, and it's, it's a different feeling. Uh, they may experience the people who love them most deeply around them, sending them metta, you know, and that uh, provides the, the inspiration for that feeling. You know, and then you can, you can return it. You can offer it in return. Yeah. Uh, there is, there is a certain way that we do it, you know, which we can do towards the end. Uh, if you find that helpful, you know, to, to coordinate it with the breath. Some people watch the breath uh, in this way wherever they're most accustomed to feeling it, the abdomen or, or the nostrils. Some people choose to breathe in and out of the heart center, right in the center of the chest, because that's the area that is most clearly associated with that feeling of opening and warmth. And really, it's just finding the way of saying the phrases that is in harmony with the breath. It may be that you take one full in-breath and out-breath to say one phrase, you know, may I be happy. Um, and you may have to play with the words to, to have it be in rhythm, to have it be in harmony. Very often, as time goes on, the phrases get abbreviated. You know, you don't each time say, may I be free from danger. I mean, you may start out that way, but after a while, what you're saying is free from danger. Have mental happiness. And so that goes along also with the rhythm of the breath. Um, and the same thing with the steps. I would just work with it in the beginning to see what rhythm is most suited for
for the coordination. And then as the phrases begin to subtly shift, to allow them to do that in a way that is in harmony with the, the pace of the movement or the rhythm of the breath. But it is perfectly fine as well just to focus on the phrases. You know, it doesn't have to be in coordination with a physical anchor. It's just that at times, or for some people, that seems to be helpful too. When you do the walking, uh, if you're walking inside the building, then it is really best to choose an area and walk back and forth, um, whatever the, the width, generally speaking, of the room is, and to move at whatever pace feels most comfortable to you. If you wish to combine it with the Vipassana walking, um, then what I would do would be to vary the pace, to begin the walking at a fairly quick speed where you're just moving back and forth and repeating the phrases. And then, say, a third of the way through the walking period to slow down somewhat and again to be repeating the phrases. And then for that last third, to slow down much more so that you really feel quite centered in each movement. It's very gentle. And once again, to be repeating the phrases throughout that. If you're walking outside, you can walk at any pace. You can walk in a greater, a greater distance. It's not quite the same as taking a walk. You know? And so um, you can probably most easily have a, an area you know, where you're just walking back and forth and sending metta towards yourself, towards the benefactor, if that seems to be working, or perhaps towards yourself and towards the beings that you encounter. Why don't we do some walking now? There's going to be an opportunity to continue to ask questions at the next sitting. Thank you. Before we begin this morning, <clears throat> there's one announcement about the interviews. The wrong groups were posted for today. And so all of those who thought you had an interview today actually don't. <laughs> and you will be seen tomorrow. Those of you who thought you didn't have an interview today <laughs> Please check the board after this sitting, because you will be scheduled today. The groups got reversed.
in understanding metta as a concentration practice, as well as a metta practice, there are two qualities of mind which are at the heart of developing strong samadhi, strong concentration. So it's important to understand these two and to actually be practicing them as you are doing the metta phrases. These two qualities of concentration, they're actually called the jhanic factors. Jhana is the Pali word for absorption. The The technical words for these qualities of mind are initial application and sustained application. In practice, what this means is that we want to develop the ability to connect with the object of meditation, that initial connection, the initial sending of the mind to the object, and then the sustaining of the attention for the duration of it. Now, there are some very practical ways of working with this. If you take each individual phrase as the object of your meditation, so it's each phrase becomes the object, the connecting with it is that initial setting the mind up, setting the mind up to repeat the phrase. You know what you're about to do. You're directing the mind. You're connecting with the beginning of the phrase. So it's that initial connection. The sustaining is the holding of the attention through the duration of the phrase. So there's actually some effort being made to hold the attention throughout the whole phrase that's being said in the mind. You may have noticed in your practice yesterday and this morning that it's quite possible to be repeating the phrases and still have the mind not be very attentive. The phrase may be going on and thoughts are kind of wandering in and out. You have moments of connecting with it and then moments of being off. If you work with these two qualities of connecting at the beginning and then the effort to hold the attention just for that one phrase, there's a real sense of cradling it or holding it you'll see that the power of the concentration grows very quickly. Because there's that right effort or gentle effort to sustain the attention for the phrase, really keeping the mind there for it, you'll see that there is a more uh, intimate connection with the meaning. The closer connection with the meaning the stronger the feeling is going to be. So all of this is intimate, intimately intertwined with one another. Concentration, meaning, and feeling of metta. The great secret to developing concentration in this way, of remembering to connect and then sustain the attention, is to do it for an interval 
that's short enough so that we're actually capable of doing it. If you have the idea, I'm going to connect and then hold my attention throughout all four phrases, that's too much. The mind is not strong enough. It doesn't have the capacity to hold a steady attention through four phrases. And so what we do is shorten the interval, shorten the duration for which we're making an effort. We make the effort to hold one short phrase in mind, but to really hold it there, to hold the attention there. May you be happy. And there's that sense of discreteness, of purpose, the connecting and the sustaining for that one phrase. And then again, it's done for the next phrase. The same connecting, the same holding or sustaining. And the third phrase. In that way, with the recommitment to connect and sustain for each phrase, we do it one by one, you will see very quickly the power of the concentration growth. So this is an important understanding of the mechanics of the practice, the, the understanding of how the mind actually works. The nuances of this are in how you hold the quality of the effort by which you're holding the phrase. Like sometimes people are holding too tight, they're holding their mind too tight, as if they're holding on for dear life so it doesn't wander. That's too much, it's too much force, and people start to get tense. Sometimes people don't make enough effort to hold the attention, to sustain it. And so it's like dropping the phrase and the mind, the mind wanders off. As you go through the sitting and the day, pay attention, be sensitive to the quality of the effort of holding the phrases in the mind. You, you might think of it, you know, as holding a baby. You don't want to crush it, and you don't want to drop it. Just enough, just enough care. So as you sit this morning, see if you can keep these two factors in mind, the connecting at the beginning of each phrase, and the effort to sustain your attention steadily for just that one phrase, no more. And then again, and then again. This morning we'll still stay with sending the metta towards oneself and then the benefactor. Or as Sylvia mentioned yesterday, if it feels easier to begin with the benefactor and then move to oneself, that would be okay too. Later on in the day, we'll begin to expand the field and move on to another category. But for now, practice this connecting and sustaining with the people that you've been doing it towards. Remember that this expression of metta, this practice of metta, is very simple. 
It's just the gift of a simple wish for someone's well-being, expressed in whatever words we choose. So let the mind stay simple, let it stay soft and gentle. Working on the steadiness of the mind and the connecting, connecting and the sustaining with the meaning of each phrase. Do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. Question was, what about those jhanic factors of connecting and sustaining with respect to visual, the visualization of the image? They can be applied to that as well. If you're able to hold the image in the mind, uh, to make that initial connection and then the effort to sustain to sustain the image works in the same way. Well, sometimes I could do that and sometimes I couldn't. Mm-hmm. So what I was doing is after I got through all the phrases, I would just finish that and then try to hold it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be helpful. It can be helpful to give some effort to to holding the image. Um, the stronger the image is in the mind, if there is one, uh, both the stronger the samadhi and the feeling of connection with the person is there. It's just we found there's quite a wide variation in people's ability to visualize. Some people it comes quite easily, other people it it, it doesn't come easily at all. And it doesn't, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So there shouldn't be a struggle to try to keep the image. But if it's something that, you know, you're able to work with, it's good to do. I would uh, work a little bit more with the sending of the metta. Because as I said, even if you're not particularly feeling much metta, feeling very much loving, uh, loving kindness, still just 
using the phrases as a concentration object is helping to develop the practice. And so in the same way that you use the breath right, in, in Vipassana meditation, you can be using the phrases to, to steady the mind and concentrate the mind. There will be a lot of ups and downs, both in terms of the feeling level. Sometimes you'll really connect with a loving feeling. Other times it may feel very flat. So there'll be ups and downs in that. There'll also be ups and downs in the level of steadiness and agitation and thinking in the mind. So both of that's quite normal. Um, Not exactly. I mean, with that model, given that we are all less than fully enlightened, we could never send metta, you know, because there's always some, or often, some other background stuff that's going on where the mind is agitated or uh, tense. So you don't have to wait for the perfectly pure mind in order to be practicing sending the metta. I think that'll, uh, that's too much of a kind of perfectionist model. It could be helpful if you're feeling, you know, a kind of agitation or tension. Watch to see or adjust the quality of the effort you're making in the repetition of the phrases. And you might even pay attention to the tone the tone of the voice in the mind, which is sending the phrase. It's somewhat analogous to the mental noting in the Vipassana. You, know, you can be noting very aggressively, or when you soften the tone, the mind actually softens. And so you could play with that in doing the phrases as well, softening the way they're being said in the mind. It's fine at times to take a little time go back to the breath, go back to the body, if you're feeling agitated or tense. But I, d- I wouldn't make that the general practice during this week for long periods of time. You know, if you want to kind of go back to it for a couple of minutes, five minutes, ten minutes even, but keep working at coming back to the phrases, because as you do it, you'll see the mind will begin to calm down and get steady and concentrated in the phrases themselves. For now, I would just uh, not worry too much about it, you know, because when the mind is quite still, then those distinctions become increasingly clear. Um, a way, a way of 
just exploring a little bit or connecting with what the feeling of metta is as opposed to the craving. Again, there are just so many subtleties to this, which is why it's nice to have a week, (laughs) you know, just to be doing it over and over again, and so different sides and different angles begin to show themselves. The metta is contained, it's contained both in the wish that we're expressing, you know, be happy, be healthy, be whatever, be free of fear, be free of pain. And so we can begin to get a sense of the metta from the words of the phrase. We can also get a sense of the metta, and this is this is a more subtle level of it, we can get another sense of the metta from from that quality of mind which is choosing to say the phrases. The fellow, it's contained both in the phrase and it's also in... I don't know how to say this exactly. It's the state... It's the state in the, of the mind which is saying the phrases as well as in the content of the phrases. You know, it's that feeling of wanting to wish happiness to somebody. Do you follow? So it's not only the wish itself, but it's, it's that quality of intention or, you know, that, that we feel that we want to wish somebody happy, happiness is itself a quality of metta. So it's just, there's a lot of richness in it, you know, and, and a lot of it comes, we just repeat, we repeat it again and again and again and again, you know, countless times in the day, and just slowly, you know, different sides of it begin to show, begin to show themselves. That's why a real quality of perseverance and steadiness, and not pushing it, you don't want to kind of be barreling through, it's, it's really relaxing back, but with enough perseverance to keep the phrases going. We're going to be walking in a few minutes. I have one question. Ego Pasana, the walking itself, is the object of meditation. It, it seems to me, correct me, that in metta, I could just as well be shoveling snow and, and, and doing, for want of a better word, I'll call it a mantra, as in walking. Is that correct? Basically. So the shovels are by the front door. <laughs> no, it's the, the one virtue it has in in this practice uh, is that it's rhythmic and it's simple. So you don't have to give particular thought to it. You know, you just you just get into a nice rhythm of back and forth walking. So in some sense the walking can fall away, you know, from your conscious attention 
leaving you primarily with the focus on the, on the phrases and the person. So it's really the simplicity of it and the rhythm of it, uh, which is helpful. Okay. You refer to samadhi. Is the samadhi of metta the same samadhi as vipassana and other forms of meditation? Uh, it's a little different in that in this kind of practice, it's really samadhi on more of a fixed object. And in vipassana, the samadhi or concentration, the idea is to see the momentariness of phenomena. In metta, we're not, we're not at all trying to see the momentariness. We're actually trying to hold a particular state and feeling steady. So it's a different kind of concentration. Are we As we continue to work together, adding to, expanding the objects of our metta well-wishing, I want to start by reminding you of Joseph's general guideline this morning when he reminded us all that these are really guidelines for practice and in each person's own experience, the selecting of a new person towards whom to direct their metta really comes from when it seems appropriate to you. So even as we expand the metta recipients this afternoon, really feel free if it feels right with you to stay just with yourself or just with the benefactor, to stay with that until it feels right to expand to add other objects. Keeping in mind that we began with ourself as the object of our well-wishing, based on the teaching of the Buddha that we are the most appropriate principal recipient of well-wishing. That indeed for us to be able to open fully to wishing goodwill and friendliness and compassion to all beings, we really need to begin by cultivating the capacity to offer that to ourselves. So it's always a good place to start one's practice, no matter how large the field of other recipients is. So you can start always with yourself as the recipient of well-wishing. Traditionally, one adds the benefactor next because it's understood that the category of benefactor is a person towards whom one has unalloyed feelings of goodwill and gratitude, or perhaps as unalloyed as one can in this world. So we pick someone towards whom we have very specially heavily, positively weighted feelings, often accompanied with gratitude, which helps to open the heart. So you can continue to work by bringing the benefactor to mind and making your intentions of good wishes towards that benefactor. And this afternoon, you can add to the range, realm of beneficiaries of your meta-well-wishing, the category of very close friends. Friends that 
you really feel positively about friends and relatives, people you love. It's probably true that with all people that we love, even our intimates and especially our intimates, we don't have unalloyed feelings of goodwill. There are some aspects about our relationship that are difficult. The general preponderance of feelings between us and that person are positive. Then we think of them generally in a loving way. Even as we think of them lovingly, it's possible to remember the areas of difficulties and still not have it alter our general loving perception of that person. So as you add that group of people as recipients of the metta, as they come to mind, primarily they come to mind in their positive aspect. Why we love them so much, why they're there, our friends or our relatives, our intimates. We wish them well with whatever phrases we've chosen to be comfortable with. Often it happens as people come to mind with whom we have some conflictual feelings, however small, that from time to time those feelings arise. And we remember, as that person comes to mind, that aspect of our relationship. It's generally possible in this practice especially as the concentration begins to deepen and the sense of metta, the sense of goodwill, the sense of pleasure in one's heart from really offering metta begins to emerge, that it's possible to overlook the areas of difficulty and really appreciate the person our close friend, in their most positive aspect. It isn't that we've forgotten everything that's true. It isn't that we forget all the difficulties. It's that they seem small in the light of the pleasure of recognition of how dear these people are to us and the pleasure that arises in the heart from wishing them well. So it's really seeing them fully and wishing them well. In a sense, it's not very different from developing metta towards oneself. Because there are about ourselves things about which we're not so comfortable. To be able to open the heart fully to ourselves, recognizing that our areas in which we are not comfortable, are just ones in which we haven't become fully wise and fully skillful yet, so that we're able to embrace ourselves fully, offer ourselves metta wholeheartedly. We begin to be able to do the same with our close friends and intimates. When we bring them to mind 
and some aspect of difficulty in the relationship comes to mind, we can remember this is an area in which wisdom hasn't arisen yet. And so their behavior and our relationship in this area hasn't been so skillful. All the more reason to open towards them with metta, with well-wishing, with whatever phrases you seem most connected to. Just as with the benefactor and with yourself as objects, you use another person for an object, you hold that person in your mind's eye. Feel them in your heart. And feel those phrases arise. In whatever way that experience unfolds for you, whether you see the words or hear the words or feel yourself emanating those words from your heart, See if you can feel the feeling that nuances those words so that each phrase arises in the mind. Feel it clearly enough to feel the feeling that goes with it and then let it go. Allow the next phrase to arise. Feel the feeling. and let it go. Be really easy in this practice. If nuances of feeling are available to you, that's fine. Feel them. If it's not so available to you and the practice feels a little dry, that's fine too. It's working anyway. Let the phrase come up in the mind. Let it go. Let the next phrase arise in the mind. Let it go. The cultivation of samadhi through the relaxed and sincere and close repetition and attention to the phrases really gives rise to those feelings. So you don't need to be concerned about cultivating them. They come all by themselves as an aspect, as a fruit of the composed mind. All you need to do is bring to mind the phrases and direct them to yourself, to your benefactor, or to your good friend. You can make the choice of changing objects at whatever time it seems most fruitful in terms of keeping the mind alert, and interested and engaged in the practice. We have time for one or two questions about this new object, if you have one, or about any aspect of the practice this far. Is it best to limit ourselves to just three or four phrases <coughs> and do them over and over, or should we just keep on going? 
I think you make that decision in ter- the, the question was should we limit ourselves to three specific people ourselves our benefactor and one friend or Oh, should we limit ourselves to three friends or four friends as opposed to ten or twelve? My sense is probably we should, but I think you make the decision not so much in terms of imposing a limit, but in letting that category of person arise in the mind, that having made the intention to wish well to a close friend, I I sometimes am surprised about who arises in the mind. I think it's going to be somebody and it's somebody else and so I'd, I'd like to feel open about being with that if it presents itself in a kind of organic or natural way that seems to be the way to keep the most flow of energy going so I'd be comfortable with that I wouldn't feel that I needed to go through methodically a list and feel bad if I had left out one of my friends that uh, somehow the sense of what I'm cultivating is the ability to wish well in a kind of unanimous and uh, totally uninhibited way. So it doesn't matter if I practice on two people or three people or four people, everyone will be the recipient of my ability to be generous of spirit. So I don't have to feel bad about not going through a list. I'd let the, I'd, I'd more or less give myself the category and then see what arises naturally. Any other question? Yeah. Before when I went for a walk, I, I was wondering, I wanted so much to see space out and look at the trees and stuff. It started to feel like an albatross or something, you know, and have this keep repeating these phrases. I'm just wondering if you have any comment or if that's just normal and that's what will come up. Because I'm finding just my mind has to go to so many other things. Yeah, the, the question was the mind wants to go to other things, especially in pleasant situations like walking outside and it's so beautiful or perhaps eating a meal and it's so delicious. And uh, Her observation was that the phrases sometimes feel like an albatross. Uh, it's wise actually to try to have a good relationship with the phrases so that you might make a decision about what you need to do to keep yourself as comfortable as possible and as happy as possible so that you're in a position to really dedicate yourself with sincerity to those phrases so that if you're walking along and are overwhelmed with how beautiful it is outside, stop for a minute and look around and see how beautiful it is and enjoy that and feel happy in enjoying it. And in that moment of realizing I'm looking and I'm feeling happy, in that moment, those phrases come quite naturally to mind because just as I feel happy, so do I wish everyone is happy. And then it's easy to restart the phrases again. Whenever you start to feel like an albatross, you really need to relax, come back, and realize I'm not happy. Okay.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.